I, I think Josh Bailey at this point has earned the right to kind of finish his career as an Islander. An incredibly honest statement for an organization that would be best served by getting this guy on LTIR. So the Islanders are going to have a, a shorter offseason than most Stanley Cup champions have ever had. I've just been walking around the house saying Kraken. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And we're back. Yes, it's Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. As we're into the offseason with episode 105 and hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And also, please consider Newsday Islanders Text, which is your direct connection to one on one communication with me. And you can text 631 303 3766. That's 631 303 3766. Or go to newsday.com backslash IELTS text to start your 14 day trial subscription. And like I say, that's your direct connection to one on one communication with me all throughout this off season. And it won't necessarily be a lengthy off season with the Islanders playing through the end of June, basically, and training camp opening up uh, about mid-September. I think we're looking at around September 18th or so, and then uh, the NHL is projecting the uh, the 21-22 season to start around October 12th, if not right on October 12th. And in this episode, uh, myself and Neil Best, who you remember from our nice playoff run, will uh, will join me and we will discuss uh, what the Islanders offseason will look like and what needs to be done going into the next season. But first, Lou Lamarillo, the Islanders president and general manager, had his end of the season uh, media session on Tuesday, and uh, a lot came out of that. Um, first off, the I guess the good news is that he uh, he insists and says and reports that Anders Lee will be 100% for the start of training camp, which is good news, obviously, and that Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who we all could see was slowed by something during that Tampa Bay Lightning series, the seven games there, uh, he underwent uh, surgery on his hand, and he, too, will be ready for the start of training camp in September. But let's, uh, let's not sugarcoat this. Lou Lamarillo was, uh, was pretty realistic about what is going to happen in the offseason, and he said, quote-unquote, it would be impossible to keep this entire group together and specifically when it comes to unrestricted free agents, Casey Sezikis and Kyle Palmieri. I know Andy Green and Travis Zajac and, and Corey Schneider and pretty much any devil that is on this roster is also an unrestricted free agent. So is Braden Coburn. But, you know, when you look at the Islanders UFAs, the, uh, the first two guys you're looking at are Casey Sezikis and Kyle Palmieri, and uh, as you'll hear here, uh, Lula Murillo is not necessarily, uh, you know, all that optimistic about one or both being able to come back. But uh, we'll, we'll start with this clip where uh, where Lula Murillo just kind of lays out the challenges 
for the offseason while talking about what a special core group of players he, he feels the Islanders do have. This is a very special core, core group, uh, not only talented, but uh, individually, uh, professionally and personally. Uh, and we will do everything we can to keep certainly the core together. It will be uh, impossible uh, because of expansion year and also because of free agency that comes about and also some of our young players who we think that uh, might be ready for NHL time. Uh, so uh, these will be difficult decisions, but I'd rather have these type of decisions than no decisions at, at all. Uh, as far as uh, expansion, uh, it is what it is. Uh, we certainly will make whatever the best decision is for uh, our team. Uh, we have to separate uh, anything other than that. Uh, and those decisions have not been made at this point. And then specifically on Casey Sezikis, uh, you know, Casey has meant so much to the Islanders. Uh, lifelong Islander, he's 30 years old. This is probably his last chance to get, uh, you know, bigger deal here. And uh, Lou, Lou says that, you know, Casey is going to have to do what's best for himself and his family. There's no question uh, what Casey Sezikis uh, has brought to the team. Uh, we will do everything we possibly can uh, to uh, try and, you know, have him come back. Uh, certainly his set of, set of circumstances are unique and also is maybe positive for us because he's an unrestricted free agent and, you know, we do not have to make any decisions with expansion. Uh, we will continue to talk with him. Uh, he has expressed his desire to come back, uh, but... We also know that uh, when you get into free agency, that's the time for the player uh, to make whatever the best decision is for him, his family, and his future. We respect that, uh, but we will do everything to uh, uh, retain Casey that we possibly can. And, and Kyle Palmieri, you know, obviously a, a short tenure with the Islanders, only coming in on April 7th, along with Travis Zajac, and only because Anders Lee was injured, a package going back to the Devils that includes a, uh, a first-round pick. Everyone's impression, you know, I know Kyle only scored two goals in the regular season with the Islanders, but you saw during the playoffs exactly what Kyle Palmieri can bring. He had seven goals you know, on the power play and just a hard-edged player with with a lot of snarl to him and you know the type of player he is fits very well into the Islander system and you would think all things being equal this is the type of player that Lou would try and uh, sign to a long-term deal sort of like when he identified Jean-Gabriel Pajot brought him in and immediately signed him to a six-year deal but the financial landscape of a flat 81.5 million salary cap is probably not going to allow that to happen. But here are Lou's thoughts on Kyle Palmieri. question is, would we like to have Kyle Palmieri back? The answer is yes. Uh, uh, I have had a conversation with Kyle, uh, and I have asked him if he would want to come back if there was something that potentially could be worked out. And his answer was yes. Uh, he also knows our set of circumstances with reference to our cap and our roster. 
but he is also, like Casey, in a unique situation. He is a total free agent, uh, so he is outside the expansion uh, thought process. And, you know, we potentially cannot keep every player uh, that we have here because we can only protect so many. Uh, so you never know what transpires, but we have an open mind. And finally, Lou was kind of asked to just sum up everything that's happened the past two seasons as the Islanders, along with the rest of the NHL, have navigated through this COVID-19 pandemic. And, uh, you know, Lou has been a part of the NHL since 1987, uh, running the Devils, and then three seasons with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and uh, and now three seasons as the Islanders boss. And uh, you, you can tell when you hear Lou talk what a special group this Islanders team has been to him. I couldn't be more proud of this group, and I couldn't have more respect uh, for a group because of all of what you mentioned with reference to the commitment that they had to make. Not that other teams didn't have to do similar, uh, but I experienced the commitment that they had with reference to whether it be the bubble, the preparation, the discipline when they came back, and the uh, attention to detail uh, from, you know, staying safe uh, as far as potentially not uh, being exposed uh, to, you know, the COVID situation that could interrupt our whole team. And... Uh, so I don't know if words could express how proud I am, what a privilege it was to work with them uh, and the coaching staff uh, through all of this, and that anything that did come up out of the ordinary, there was never a panic. Uh, there was never uh, a, a sort of head down. It was, we'll get through it. Uh, we'll be ready for any adjustment that has to be made. Uh, we'll do it together. We'll have open communication. Uh, we'll be open to suggestions uh, because their families had to play a major role in what was done, too, because they had to make a lot of sacrifices. And now off of that, we'll go from uh, Lou Lamarillo's New England accent to uh, uh, Neil Best. Who, uh, what, what kind of accent would you say you have there, Neil? I, I don't think I have that much of one, but... I've spent most of my life in New Jersey or Long Island. I think I've escaped relatively nondescript. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, well, none of us can hear the own accents. Or, <laughs> That's true. But, but, That's true. but if we go to New Mexico, everyone says we, we talk strange, right? That's true. I know. <laughs> yeah. So um, first, let me, let me start here with you, Neil. Um, what were your impressions listening to Lou yesterday and, you know, his comments on the difficulty in keeping this group together. First of all, uh, we're doing this at 10:30 in the morning, which is very strange to me because I'm used to 1:30 <laughs> in the morning. This is like I'm so awake for this. It's weird. I maybe I'll be more coherent than normal. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, I, I thought I was actually impressed with how honest Lou was about a lot of things uh, on that call. Not that Lou lies to us, but often he doesn't tell us everything. He, you know, he doesn't tell us everything. And, you know, when it, whether it was the, you know, the injuries or the schedule for next year or in particular the free agent stuff, 
He was very, I thought was, he was very blunt. I mean, the, the bad news part was that he was honest about how hard it's going to be to resign free agents because of the flat cap. And uh, the, the good news side of how honest he was, was him basically guaranteeing none of the restricted free agents is going to leave this year, which I also thought was interesting. He was specifically, he kept saying three restricted free agents. And, and when he says that, we're talking about Golia Ilya Sorokin, uh, who is going to be due a significant raise from the $2 million he had on a one-year deal this year. And he's talking about Anthony Beauvillier, uh, who, you know, is probably looking at a raise from the 2.1. And then certainly defenseman Adam Pellick, who I believe was in at 1.6. And you know what? Uh, top pair defenseman, you're probably looking at him being bumped up to you know, around at least the 5 million mark, if, if not higher. So, you know, and the way it was couched was there's not going to be a Devontae's situation this summer because, you know, Lou is, I, I don't want to say bitter, but Lou is still stung a little bit that, that financial constraints forced him to trade Devontae's last off season to the Colorado Avalanche. That is a player that Lou desperately did not want to get rid of. So I, I, I agree with you. I thought it was very interesting that Lou made it a point to say that there were not going to be any Devontae situations this year with those three restricted free agents. And also, you know, if you go down the list, there's actually a fourth restricted free agent in uh, Michael Dalcal, but Lou did not necessarily include Michael Dalcal because he did keep saying the three restricted free agents were going to be re-signed. That's, but that was the thing about Taze last year. Uh, that was another thing that, yeah, I thought was interesting how honest Lou was about it, because you could just tell how, as you said, he still, still bothers him. But you know, in terms of the, the, free, the unrestricted free agents, look, I, you know, of, of course, Casey Sezekis has been an important part of this team for a long time, and, a great, and it would be great to keep him around. However... Aside from the financial issues, you know, this this roster does need to get younger. I mean, I know I sort of obsessed over that a little bit during the playoffs. And I think of the of the 19 people who played in game seven against Tampa, 12 or 30 are going to be 30 and over by, by the start of next season. And that, that's a lot. I mean, at some point, you do have to part ways with your beloved longtime Islanders and get younger. And you know, if, if that happens with Sezekis, then, you know, so be it. Uh, you know, he would be missed, but he is 30 years old. Yeah, and, and you heard uh, in the clip we just played, the first clip, Lou talking about the fact that, you know, yes, it's it's the flat salary cap. Yes, it's the expansion draft coming up. Yes, it's free agency. But he also, as Neil just pointed out, he also says there might be players that the organization feel it's time for them to uh, – to get into the lineup. And, and that's just, you know, you turn over your lineup. It, it, you can't, especially in the NHL where, you know, uh, it gets younger and younger every season, you know, it well, used to be. No, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, <laughs> I, it's my extra energy because it's 1030 in the morning. Um, uh, what I thought of when you were point, saying that is I, 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 you know, apologize for bringing up the other team in town, but you know, Adam Fox just won the Norris Trophy at 23 years old. Okay, I mean, so you can you can have elite players at extremely young ages and just go with them if they're good enough. Yeah, I, I mean, and you know, and we talk about elite players, and you know, so the Islanders' elite player, you know, if if you you know 
among the skaters, Matthew Barcel, right? At, at, at 24, do you consider Barzi a young player anymore? I mean, you know, he's he's been through four NHL seasons. He's going into his fifth NHL season. You know, I, I know he still has development left, and, and, and Barry Trotz talked about that a lot at, at his, you know, exit interviews on Sunday. But, you know, Beauvillier and, and, and Barzell at, at 24 are, don't necessarily, they're not, you know, young rookies anymore. They're established NHL players. And the, the Islanders do need an infusion of some, you know, that underlying foundation of, of younger players. And, you know, you know the, the, Casey Sezikis is actually the youngest player on that on that uh, <laughs> uh the, the identity that's um you know yeah, and, that's, that's true and it just you know they they signed maddie martin to a, a four-year deal uh you know prior to last season uh this just completed season so matt matt's got three seasons left on his deal but casey is a ufa you know he, he's gonna be uh you know uh coming up in a, a few short weeks here and then Cal Clutterbuck, who uh, is 33, is due a deal after next season. So I, I've always thought when you look at one, you have to look at all three and how the puzzle fits because they just, they're just so much better together than they are apart. And honestly, when they re-signed Matt Martin for four years, to me, that was a sign that they might have to commit to Casey and, 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 and possibly even Cal. Well, I mean, they don't have to. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, you got to take it year by year. Uh, you know, what, just in terms of the nuances of what Lou was talking about, I also thought it was interesting when he made the point that because of the expansion draft, that he, he, there's the challenge of the flat salary cap, obviously. But on the other hand, if they can get the, the Seattle to take one of their high salary players, well, that gives them a little more wiggle room. Obviously, we don't know who they're going to expose and who Seattle is going to be interested in. Uh, but if they were to take an Eberle or a Letty, you know, then it gives Lou a little bit more breathing room. Uh, but it wasn't, I mean, I don't want to say I feel, I felt bad for Lou Lamorello because he doesn't need my right. sympathy. But when he was, but, but when he was talking about the flat salary cap, and he did say this applies, it's not just the Islanders, this affects everyone some degree or another. You know, you go through all this planning and planning and planning and looking ahead down the road in terms of giving out a contract like Matt Martins or whoever. And then all of a sudden you're told, oh no, sorry, <laughs> you know, the salary cap's not gonna be what we thought it was gonna be. And you know, it's after you've based, uh, you've, you've made certain assumptions and, uh, you know, it's, it's just another challenge these guys have, have to deal with, the executives have to deal with. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the expansion draft definitely is an opportunity if the Seattle Kraken, and how much do we love that name, the Kraken? I mean, <laughs> I've, just, I've just been walking around the house saying Kraken. Uh, you know, we, we'll see how much Seattle cooperates with the Islanders, whether they, they go for a, a big ticket item on the expansion draft. But like I said, we will get to that uh, discussion in, in a little bit. What we're talking about, Lou being very, very honest, he was asked about Andrew Ladd. And, and everyone knows that the most convenient thing for the Islanders would be to place Andrew Ladd on LTIR, uh, long-term injured reserve, for the final two seasons of, of Ladd's deal, 
and to just be allowed to spend over the salary cap by Andrew Ladd's salary. And, you know, Andrew Ladd had the, the, the surgeries on each knee uh, a couple of seasons ago. He only played one game for Bridgeport in the AHL this season. But when asked about Andrew Ladd and what he's up to, the first thing Lou said was he is healthy which I thought was an incredibly honest statement for an organization that would be best served by getting this guy on LTIR. That, that whole Andrew Ladd thing is such a weird, mysterious, <laughs> you know, we, you know, for a guy who, when he was around is a, you know, kind of a go-to guy in the locker room for the media and was a, you know, an interesting guy who's had a good career. It, it is weird that he's like there, but not there. It's, you know, cause Lou mentioned, well, he's been skating with us and, I'm like, oh, but we never see him. And and also, he was not included on the uh, Islanders taxi squad. You know, the, the Black right. Aces. You know, I mean, he just he was not around. I mean, you know, at the beginning of the season, there were you know platitudes about what his leadership was going to bring to Bridgeport for the young guys, and then he never showed up in Bridgeport. Really, he only played one game for the uh, now former Sound Tigers, and uh, yeah. It's not you quite know. like Bobby Bonilla still, you know, still haunting the Mets contractually, but <laughs> it, is, it is kind of, it is, it's, it's an odd situation, but I'm sure Lou has, you know, some plan up his sleeve about that, that subject. Well, Lou's got a plan up his sleeve about everything. He's so. had, yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's thought of everything. So the other thing that, that Lou did discuss was the potential for a long road trip to, to start the 21-22 season. And as we know, the Islanders are going to move into uh, their $1.2 billion UBS arena at Belmont Park. Uh, that's targeted to open sometime in November. We're not exactly sure. Luke called the opening date of that arena a moving target at this point. Um, and he seemed fine with the idea of a, you know, a lengthy road trip. And, and Neil, I, I know you wrote about that yesterday. Um, to me, listening to this, and, and along with the, uh, with with Lou saying that any home preseason games are going to be played in Bridgeport, Connecticut. To me, that is closing the door on Nassau Coliseum for good. Well, I don't disagree with you. Uh, however, you know, we, the reason I didn't play that up even more in my story is that, um, you know, we don't know, like, what if there's some, 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 something, some piece of the ceiling falls down and, and the, the, the arena is opening December 15th, like, you know, things could happen that could cause the long road trip thing to not be sufficient. However, let's, let's assume the arena opens, you know, the first couple of weeks of November. Um, yeah, I mean, he, in 2007, the Devils were waiting for the Prudential Center. They opened nine games on the road. 2013, Rangers are waiting for the Garden renovation, open with nine games on the road. Now, the Devils were 3-5-1 and one in 2007, and the Rangers were 3-6 and six for a team that was actually going to reach the Stanley Cup final that year when they started with nine games on the road. However, um, it's very doable. When the Rangers started with those nine games on the road in 2013, they, they, their first, there were 25 days from their first game till their home opener. So that's, you know, that's three and a half weeks that pushes you into November, well into November. So it's all, it's all doable. And like Lou said, well, if you go on the road for nine games and you win, you know, win, it's great. Cause then of course, later in the year, you got a lot of home games. 
Yeah, no, and and I covered that uh, that fourteen fifteen Rangers team, and that was Elaine Vigneault's first season uh, at the helm, and he was not a happy coach, you know, because they sent the team to Europe for a couple of preseason right. games, and then they start the season over there, and that that was a big emotional to do because they went to Sweden, and Henrik Lundqvist was feted like a returning king. And, and then they came back with a long road trip. And, and Elaine Vigneault was very grumpy through that whole period. Yeah, but the interesting thing about the 2007 road trip the Devils had, probably because Lou somehow was working his magic, they, they started with nine consecutive road games, all of which were in the East, Eastern time zone. They went to Florida. They went to Pittsburgh. They did the local teams. They never left the Eastern time zone. <laughs> So the Rangers are starting in Sweden and Lou's Devils are starting in, you know, in Pittsburgh or whatever. Yeah. And, and it did sound like Lou had been given some assurances from the league, the way he was talking, where he said, I know we're going to get a schedule that we're comfortable with. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, you know, even before he had said this, I was thinking that, that you do have the advantage around here where you can be on the road, but not be on the road. You, you go to the Rangers, you go to the Devils, you go to the Flyers. So it's not as if the players have to be away from their families for three weeks out in Vancouver. Um, so I, I assume it'll be some combination of going out West for a couple of weeks and come back and play the Rangers, Devils, whatever. Um, the, so the real, again, the, 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 what really matters is when that arena is going to be ready. If it's November 1st, it's fine. If it's November 30th, it's not so fine. So, you know, stuff happens. We'll see. I mean, my personal hope is that the islanders are the seattle kraken apostrophe s the kraken's uh first that, home opponent that, I, could happen. that could happen yeah no, I, I i could see him doing like the kraken the canucks and then come down and do you know the the three california teams and then maybe you know do the coyotes on the way home you know, maybe get in a game at Pittsburgh as they come back east, and then you know, you know, game against the Rangers, game against the Devils, something like that. In terms of Plan B, I, I did look up the seating capacity of the Bridgeport Arena. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's eighty five hundred for hockey, eighty four hundred. So, in an emergency, that's not insane to play a couple of games there if you really, really had to. Well, yeah, because we, we don't necessarily, and again, I think the Islanders just want to be done with the Coliseum. I don't want, I don't think they want anyone holding that out as a, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we played two more games at the, I think they're oh. so done with that. And even for, even for people like us who are into like storytelling, obviously it's, it's nicer if the last moment ever there is Beauvillier's overtime goal in game six and not some, you know, early season game against, you know, Minnesota, <laughs> you know, it's just not, that would not be dramatic. No, no, not, not at all. Not, not dramatic at all. Uh, you gotta, like I say, at some point, and, and we don't even know what the, uh, the, the leaseholder at the Coliseum wants to do with that building. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, the reports yeah. are, you know, he's going to downsize a little bit and, you know, I have, a feel, I have a feeling that, again, in an emergency where some, you know, some beam falls, obviously, hopefully not injuring anyone, um, <laughs> that, that they may, maybe in an emergency you go to Bridgeport. I mean, 8,500 fans is not 
insane to play an NHL game in front of if you really just need a place to play. They're not going to go to the Garden, and I assume they're not going to go to Barclays Center. So, yeah, if you had to, you could go to Bridgeport. I, I almost feel like they might they, – they, they could go to Prudential Center. That, that would be less weird than the Garden, obviously. Yeah, yeah the, in, again, in an emergency, sure, why not? I'm sure anyone in Islanders management listening to us talking about falling beams at UBS. You no, know, I'm not obviously not rooting for anything like that to happen. I again for for people like us who are into stories, uh, yeah, I want that arena to open on time, like November 5th or whatever, after their nine-game road trip, and it'd be great. Just start the new era and We'll have um, not Italian combo subs in the press box, and um, we'll be ready to go. Did I send you the picture? I sent Brian Compton the picture. So we, I, we, I get back from Tampa, right from Game Seven, and uh, what was it? It's the next day, and or or you know what? It was. It was either the next day or two days after when we're doing. The, the, the four hours of exit interviews with the Islanders players on breakup day. So I go into the fridge to see what's in there. And I had grabbed like an Italian sub from game six. So I don't know how old that made it, but I was like, you know, makes sense. I should eat the last Italian yeah. sub during yeah. exit interviews. <laughs> no, that is, you know, that's poetic storytelling. After yeah. the, the morning after game seven, I had a softball game going on like two hours sleep. And, you know, afterward, one of the guys brought some sandwiches for the boys for snacks. And he had roast beef, turkey, Italian subs. One of my teammates says, oh, this Italian coca sub is really good. I'm like, no, I am never eating. I don't care. Never eating Italian coca sub again. No, give me the turkey. Just to catch up any <laughs> listener who has not listened to our sports writer whining over the course of the playoffs. And look. First of all, I should say we appreciate the Islanders organization for feeding us. Absolutely. Yes. You know, that that is not something that happened during the regular season. And and the Islanders did provide box lunches or box box dinners throughout the playoff. And, And that was not something they had to do. So we're very appreciative. Thank you, New York Islanders. However, there was never any variety. It was the same Italian combo from 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 game three or the first round through game six of of, of the NHL semifinals. So so that was nine nine home playoff games, right? Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess so. Nine home playoff games and. Look, I'll 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 own up to it. I probably had two Italian subs. <laughs> so, well, well, while we're uh, well, speaking of the PR staff, and while we're praising them, uh, despite their menu choices, um, that that the, I have I've been to a lot of breakup days in my long and storied career of sports writing in person and now by Zoom, obviously. That was an unbelievable performance by Islanders PR staff and players on that. They gave us 21 players in like less than three hours and then Barry for a half hour. So the the efficiency with with which we got players, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, everybody on that, every relevant player except Leo um, talked to us. I, I thought I really thought it was very impressive and appreciated what they did with their with their players that day. Were you upset we didn't get Leo Komarov? 
Well, I was planning to write a Leo column that day, but I told the Islanders that I, I, I'd get by with the other 21 players and a half hour of Barry. And speaking of Barry, I mean, I know I tweeted this out. I know most, you know, I, you know what? I say most fans don't care, except in this case, I think they do care because they appreciate the whole Barry thing so much. But I, you know, given the restraints that we had with Zoom during these, the whole season, well, the whole last two seasons, two playoffs, what Barry did for the media and, of course, by extension, the fans to give them interesting reading material and listening material over the over this Zoom era of sports writing was absolutely incredible. The fact that he was able to be as engaging, as interesting, as honest, uh, it was amazing because the players were, you know, let's face it, we had limited interaction with the players and Barry saved us. And, and like I said, gave the fans really more than they would have had otherwise to read about th this playoff run and last year's playoff run. Absolutely. And here's one thing that does panic me as a sports writer. And this is, you know, this is not necessarily an Islander off season, but this off season is going to be short enough that I'm not convinced we're not going to be right back doing Zooms at the start of next season. Well, I don't know. I think uh, the NFL is going to set the tone for that. Baseball already is starting to do some in-person stuff. I think the NHL will follow the lead of some of these other leagues, but I don't know. because I mean, Plus, they also have the, the Canadian situation to deal with, and we don't know what that's going to be like. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people think of it as sports writer whining, but really all we're trying to do is serve fans with information and that is definitely not best served by Zoom. No, no. And, and, and that was also something, and I did ask Barry about that. Um, so it's, you know, it's the end of June now, as I mentioned, and training camp is going to be open in, in about two and a half months. And I asked uh, Barry about whether that was enough time to rest and recover. And, and he seemed to think it would be. But still, this is... This is an even shorter off season than during a quote unquote normal regular season when the, you know, the Stanley Cup champion, you know, gets crowned mid June and then, you know, goes through, you know, a sh that that's considered a short off season. So the Islanders are going to have a, a shorter off season than most Stanley Cup champions have ever had. And, uh, you know, I, to me, it's going to be very interesting how the players do, you know, time it this offseason. How much do, do they take, you know, less time off the ice before they start resuming skating? Do they do their normal thing and just push it back and then go into training camp with, with less of an offseason uh, workout routine? So, I, I, you know, Barry of course is very confident that the, the players will do what's necessary. And, and I, I, you know, one of the, the benefits of having is, as you say, Neil, a team of a lot of 30 somethings on it is they do know how to take care of their body very, very well. But, you know, when, when we asked Jean-Gabriel Pajot and obviously he was facing surgery, although he did not want to say it, even though he was asked repeatedly what was going on, um, he was a little hesitant about how much time there would be this offseason. So I, I find that a, an, an interesting aspect. You heard Lou say that there was not going to be a summer development camp for the prospects 
uh, this offseason, although those guys have been skating, they will be evaluated. It just won't be in the camp setting. Um, everything is going to be condensed. We're going to go, you know, into the expansion draft, into the regular NHL draft, into free agency. Um, you know, the restricted free agents need to be resigned. So in a lot of ways, this offseason is going to be a complete scramble. As far as what you said about the the veteran players knowing how to take care of themselves, that's true. But on the other hand, also of course they're older, so in theory they need more of a break. So I don't know how that's gonna, you know, play out. Um, but um, yeah, I mean you're right; it's a shorter off season. But I, I you know, I, what is so? What is that? Three? That's three months, I guess they get. So a little bit less. Well, a little less than three months as much as they got to bond by being with each other, especially in the bubble and away from everybody else, us, their families, you know, everybody, you would think they need some time away from each other. Just, you know, on a personal level, they've made, they've had too much quality time. <laughs> so I, I, you know, you'd think that they're going to enjoy just kind of, you know, whatever being with their family and friends and going to their, you know, vacation cottages in Northern Ontario or wherever these guys go. And, and that was one thing Casey Sezikis said was, you know, when asked about his impending unrestricted free agency, he said, I haven't even thought about that. I just want to spend a couple of days with the guys here and then everyone's going to disperse for the summer. And I, I, I don't know whether you followed this, Neil, but the last 48 hours or so, um, Twitter and social media has blown up amongst Islander fans speculating on the fact that Casey Sezikas put his, uh, uh, his house up for sale and, and sold his Long Island house. And what does that mean? And, and, and people were kind of uh, losing their collective uh, stuff, as they say, on, 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 on well, social media over this. Sometimes that stuff means something and often it doesn't. He could just be trying to take advantage of what a seller's market it is in the real estate market and make a profit and then worry about the future in the future that um, I have seen, you know, yeah, that, that's often a thing uh, in free agency times, but it doesn't always mean anything. No, no, it, it doesn't. I mean, and Casey's got a growing family. It could just mean he wants another bedroom or two. I yeah. mean, yeah. And also, he knows he's going to be able to afford it because he's going to get a good, wherever Casey winds up, he's going to get a good deal. And, uh, you know, not to not to panic Islander fans, but I would think there are a couple of teams in the Islanders division, um, the Rangers and the Penguins, who might have a lot of interest in Casey Sezikis on the open market. Yeah, Rangers should have had interest in Matt Martin, but that's another story. Yeah. Yeah, um. <laughs> he might have he might have helped change the culture of that team a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, but Casey can be that kind of guy yeah. too. Yeah, know? no, it's a little different kind of guy than Matt, obviously. But yeah, he could bring he brings something to the table that, well, certainly at the Rangers need. Yeah, actually, and and my my favorite quote of all this exit interview stuff was in was when Cal Clutterbuck, he of the perpetual sourpuss, uh, was asked about Casey, and he just kind of said, "Oh, he's Casey," you know. Especially when I can be grumpy, he's just a puppy dog. You know? Yeah, like that fit what we would think their relationship would be like, but to have him say it. 
was interesting because yeah we see cal always being grumpy and we see casey always being upbeat well turns out that's what it is you know in media terms i find cal to be a very interesting guy because he he's always grumpy and sometimes he tries to give short answers but he's also a very smart interesting guy and he he often has very insightful things to say through his grumpiness yeah i mean this is completely subjective but i've always considered cal to be quite possibly the most intelligent Islander, you know, on the team. You know, if I yes. was looking, you know, if I was going to rank him by IQs, I, I, I would have Cal right at the top of the board. Well, or at least based on what we see in terms of just uh, talking to a guy. Uh, yeah, he's, he, I just find him, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know what his uh, IQ is, but yeah, his, he's just a very, when he's in the mood and he's, uh, or he, which he usually is, he's very cooperative. He's, uh, yeah, I find him a very interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, actually, you know, you know who we're probably underselling in the IQ quotient here. I'm going to say that Leo Komarov is probably one of the most intelligent guys. I mean, he speaks 292 languages and, <laughs> you know, no yeah, one but, knows but, what he's talking no, about. <laughs> well, that may be true, but when he speaks English to us, it's usually not that um, quotable. So, yeah. oh, speaking of English, and you, you gave him credit on that Zoom, uh, you know, rightfully so. What, Il what Ilya Sorokin has done is, is remarkable. He's made it a point to learn English over this last year. And just from the time we first started with him, when he, he really, he was doing well, but still struggling, he needed translations from his teacher. He didn't have that teacher backing him up on that last session. And he was good. I mean, when he, what he said about sitting on the bench and hearing the Josh Bailey song <laughs> and how amazing that was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I give that guy a lot of credit for his crash course in English. You know, one of the things I'm most looking forward to whenever we resume in-person interviews is actually getting to meet Ilya Sorokin, because I think he's a fascinating person. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping he's an Islander for the next 10 seasons. You know, I, I hope he's that rock and net. I think he certainly, you know, is moving along that path. And again, you know, just to kind of bring it full circle, it's going to be very interesting what kind of new deal he gets as a restricted free agent. You know, I, I got to think his agent, you know, might be happy taking another one or two year deal and, and moving him towards unrestricted free agency. And I, I would think the Islanders are going to want to get him, you know, signed up long term here. They have a very, aside from the contract thing, they have a very interesting goalie. Like if you had a, if you had to predict what the breakdown of games between those two guys is going to be next season, it's kind of hard. Like, I, I don't know who's going to play the majority of games. I would think it's 50-50. Yeah. You know, or, or I think that's how they go into the season thinking that it's 50-50, but uh, we can do, we can do a whole podcast episode on the goalies coming up, but uh for right now, let's kind of uh, uh, get this uh, boat headed towards the shore with a few Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. These questions come to me via Newsday Islanders text, which is your best way of getting in questions for the podcast or communicating one-on-one -on -one with me. And again, that's text 631 303 3766-631-303-3766 or go to newsday.com backslash Isles text to start your 14-day 
trial subscription. And we'll start with my friend, Michael Tricarico, who says, here are some questions. What would Lou have to give up to shed Andrew Ladd's contract? Is it even possible or is that just too big a task even for Lou? Or does Ladd simply end up on LTIR? Was he even with the team for the playoff run or did he just end up staying at home? It seems like the Islanders have to somehow shed that contract if they are going to improve or even maintain the status quo. And I have to believe Lou has a strategy for that. Will it work? And yeah, uh, Mike T, I, I agree that Lou does have a strategy, whether or not he'll be able to implement it or not. Um, you know, what would Lou have to give up to shed Andrew Ladd's contract? It's only got two years left uh, at this point. And I'm thinking, you know, a team, not that there are many, but a, a team, you know, that can take on salary you know, you're, you're, you're probably looking at a, a very good prospect to move Andrew Ladd. I mean, I think that's a no-brainer. Could, could you get by with, uh, you know, sending a second-round pick out instead of a first-round pick? I, I, I think that might be possible. I, I don't know, Neil. You, you got some thoughts? You and Lou are the hockey mavens. I, I don't – I mean, I don't know the nuances of this, but, yeah, obviously, if there's a way to do it, he should do it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Lou has moved these big contracts before he's moved guys, you know, like a, a David Clarkson who are, are not playing, you know, he moved Dion Phaneuf's contract at one point. Um, again, you know, as I mentioned before, Lad simply ending up on LTIR would be the simplest thing, but um, you know, Lou seemed to throw a little bit of cold water on, on that. And, uh, I, I think he does look to move Andrew Ladd. Andrew Ladd is not eligible for the expansion draft. He has not played enough. Um, and, and there's no way Seattle would, would select him anyway. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you talk about lose offseason priorities, and obviously it's getting the restricted free agents signed, Pellick, Beauvillier, and Sorokin, and then seeing what he can do with the unrestricted free agents. But you know, finally kind of coming to some core, some kind of solution to the Andrew Ladd situation would seem to be a priority as well. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that, you know, there is going to be a solution this off season. I mean, that, that, that contract, unfortunately, and, and again, as Neil said, this has nothing to do with Andrew Ladd's personality. I wish it would have worked out for him here with the Islanders. I know the Islanders wish it would have worked out. It has not. It will not. Um, I don't know if Ladd's knees can, you know, keep up for a full season. So it's a priority. I don't know whether Lou's strategy, whatever that will be, will come to fruition. But uh, I would say the one thing I could say for certain is Lou definitely – has a strategy for what he wants to do. You had me at Dion Phaneuf. See, I said you were at a hockey maven. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, let's see. Well, let's let's talk about the expansion draft. Benny Deer says, if the Islanders have to choose to expose either ba uh, Josh Bailey or Jordan Eberle, who do you think they will expose and why? And uh, this is probably a good time to 
uh, talk for a few hundred seconds about the expansion draft. Uh, the, the protected list is due on July 17th. The expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken is on July 21st. And to read the rules to everyone, the Kraken will select one player from each team, excluding the Vegas Golden Knights for a total of 30. That's 14 forwards, nine defensemen, three goalies. And that's not including additional players who may be acquired as the result. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm basically just reading straight from the NHL.com story on the expansion draft. Um NHL teams can protect either seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie, or eight skaters. Uh, that's a combination of forwards and defensemen, and you would do that if you would want to protect four defensemen and one goalie. Uh, players with no movement clauses uh, and who decline to waive those clauses must be protected. All first and second year professionals and all unsigned draft choices are exempt. So yada, yada, yada. Here's my protected list as of right now. And this is including the, uh, the RFAs. Um, and, and just to, and this will answer Benny Deer's question. I'm going to say, if you have to choose to expose either Bailey or Eberly, I think the Islanders will expose Jordan Eberly. I think Josh Bailey, and I know I, I can already hear some Islander fans like ripping their hair out when I say this. I, I think Josh Bailey at this point has earned the right to kind of finish his career as an Islander. I, I think that would mean something to the organization, you know, kind of like some of the, uh, you know, some of the great dynasty players who, who were just an Islander. Um, I, I think Josh Bailey has sort of carved that place out in Islanders history. I'm not saying that's going to happen and it usually doesn't, but uh, given the choice between Bailey or Eberly, I, I think Bailey provides more of an overall package and, and Jordan Eberly, if Seattle somehow takes Jordan Eberly and then you can somehow trade Nick Letty and both of those have uh, salary cap hits of 5.5 million each you know, if you could somehow free up that 11 million there, then you can talk about re-signing uh, a Kyle Palmieri. So here is my protected list. And Neil, you can chime in at any time uh, if you think I'm off the rails here. But uh, I'm protecting seven forwards and, you know, Matthew Barzell, no-brainer. Anders Lee, no-brainer. Brock Nelson, I think no-brainer. You don't give up on centers. Uh, J.G. Pajot, no-brainer. You know, if you're re-signing Beauvillier and you say you're not trading him, then I, you're, you're protecting him. I'm protecting Josh Bailey. Uh, I'm not protecting Jordan Everly. And then my seventh slot, and, and it depends how the Islanders evaluate either of these two guys. Um, you know, Otto Koivula, could be a replacement for Casey Sezikis on the fourth line. So do you protect him? Or if Kiefer Bellows is left unprotected, that is pretty enticing to Seattle. So do you protect Kiefer Bellows? So my, my seventh spot, uh, and it's kind of a wimp out, but uh, it's either Otto Koivula or Kiefer Bellows to me. Um, Neil, any issues with any of those forwards? Any thoughts on Bailey versus Jordan Everly? 
First, let me, let me clarify that I don't want to offend anyone. Stan Fischler is the hockey maven. I'm just using you as the sort of current, you know, the junior hockey maven or something. I don't know. Stan is the hockey maven, not Andrew Gross. Uh, but Andrew's a good sort of modern day replacement. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah. And to me, Everly and Letty are the two priorities to hope that Seattle takes. So, yeah, I, I agree with leaving Everly exposed over Josh Bailey. And now the defenseman, the defensemen seem pretty simple. You, you're protecting Ryan Pulak. You're protecting Adam Pellick. And you, you got to protect Scott Mayfield because he's on such a team-friendly contract that he would be picked in a second if he was left exposed. Yeah, so those are my three defensemen there. And then, you know, and I know we've had late-night discussions about this. Probably you're, you're protecting Semyon Varlamov um, as the goalie. However, you know, one outside-the-box thought would be, you know, how much money do you want to spend on goalies, right? If we're saying Ilya Sorokin is certainly going to get more than $2 million, you know, let's say he doubles it to four million. So now, you know, Varlamov and Sorokin—that's nine million for two goalies. That's a little bit more than I think most NHL teams would like to to spend on goalies. So one outside the box thought would be leave Varlamov unprotected and see if the Kraken bite on his five million dollar deal. Um, whether that would be more enticing than. Everly or Letty? It's not insane. I mean, look, uh, Marlamov had an incredible year, but you know they let Leonard go, they let Grice go. I mean, people, these, it's not insane if you are if you fully believe in Sorokin, which we think they do. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could say it's outside the box. I suppose it is because he was the team, the team MVP this year. Yeah, absolutely. But, but Ray Knight left after being the World Series MVP, and Hideki, uh um, I'm having a Matsui. Matsui, I'm sorry, I'm old. Um, he left after being the MVP. I mean, you know, stuff happens. Lou's philosophy is to build from the net on out. So I don't think Lou is going to risk losing. You know, let's face it, he's still the number one goalie. I don't think <laughs> Lou is risking that. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I wouldn't vote for doing that, but you, you know, you can you can make a case for it. Michael Fernandez says, any way the Islanders can clear out salary to keep their RFAs and re-sign Palmieri? And I think Neil and I just kind of spelled out, you know, what you're going to have to give up um, to, to get, you know, a Palmieri signed. You're going to have to, you're going to have to trade or, or rid yourself of both Eberly and Nick Letty's contracts, I would think. Um, and, and that's at a minimum. Uh you know, uh, because the priority is is getting Adam Pellick re-signed. It's getting Ilya Sorokin re-signed. It's getting Anthony Beauvillier signed. And then, you know, you're looking at Sezikis and, and Palmieri. There's just, there's just really not enough money to go around to get that all done. I, I saw capfriendly.com uh, had the Islanders projected at about $5 million in cap space right now. Um, and that's for 17 players. So, yeah, the, the Islanders are in a severe cap crunch, um, which, which is why the, the odds of Casey Sezikis and Kyle Palmieri playing elsewhere next season are so high. 
to, to me, the oh, by Daniel Murphy, NLCS MVP, he left. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I knew I was forgetting one guy on my list that I always use. Um, you know, to me, the goal the Islanders are up against it with all for all the reasons we discussed. The, the most important thing was for them to get into that new arena with a good team, which they will do, which they should do. We obviously don't know how this is going to play out. We don't know if they're going to get as far as they did again, but they're going into that new arena with a team that should be good. And the fact that they've been able to do that and sort of bridge this era, this bizarre era with the COVID in the arenas and show up at UBS arena, you know, with most of their roster intact, that's, that's the goal and that's what they should be able to do. Yeah. Uh, and finally, last one from Thomas Boyle, who asks, from Bridgeport, who is ready to make the jump to the NHL next season? And, you know, obviously uh, there's, you know, there, there are some defensemen down there that the Islanders are hoping, to, uh, you know, are in the, uh, in the lineup soon. And I'm thinking, you know, Bodie Weil and Samuel Bolduck. But I'm not necessarily sure that Wild and Bullduck are next season for the Islanders. They may be two season uh, prospects there. From Bridgeport, really, I, I think it's, you know, Otto Koivula, who I mentioned. I, I know the Islanders are very high on them. And I, I, I sort of get the sense, and I got the sense from uh, Lou talking that, you know, maybe that was the guy Lou was talking about when, you know, carving out a roster spot for a young guy might be Otto Koivula and, and Kiefer Bellows. You know, I know he's been up. I know he's been down. He was part of the Black Aces. But, you know, a, a guy who's ready to make the jump and become a full-time player. Well, look, you know, I don't think there's any doubt Oliver Wallstrom is going to be a significant part of what the Islanders do moving forward. It would be really good for the Islanders organization if, if Kiefer Bellows is also part of that equation. The, 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 those would be the, the guys I would have. Neil, any, uh, any other thoughts, final thoughts? Final thoughts? I guess, well, my, my final thought, I guess I already said my fi final thoughts in the previous, my previous statement, which is the, 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 the way that the Islanders have navigated, you know, every team navigated COVID, obviously, although the Islanders more so the most only because they had two long playoff runs. Um, but of course, they had the additional thing of three home arenas in three years, basically, not counting the bubbles. Um, and the way that Lou and Barry and the players have navigated this has been impressive and they are going to be a good team next year. Uh, they're going to look a little different. But um, this, this window they have, which is definitely starting to shut for this particular group, is definitely not closed. And they will have an opportunity to do some damage again next year. And that's what you want as a competitive team. Now they get the new arena. I don't know what they're going to look like four years from now. But they're going to be a good veteran team next year. On paper, they got to actually do it. Yeah, and, and there's no reason they should not be legit Stanley Cup contenders next season, I would, I would think. Since this uh, may be the last time I talk to Neil for a couple of weeks here, I cannot let Neil go without asking one more Andrew's questions. Neil. We're talking in a couple of weeks. I was thinking uh, October 12th, but all right, go ahead. Neil, you've been such a good sport 
throughout this playoff run. We've had so much fun. And, and, and I should note that uh, uh, it's, it's a little strange not doing this pod without Colin Stevenson too, but um, you know, we had to let Colin go because he's the Rangers beat writer and he's not the Islanders beat writer. He's, I think he's working on it, Adam Fox's uh, biography. Yeah. Right he's working on an Adam <laughs> Fox book right now. So Neil, let's just wrap up this glorious playoff run. I, I know you're going to get this one. I, I, I teed this one up just for you. And this one also comes from my dear friend, uh, uh, Andy Sauer, who, as I mentioned, me and him uh, were in a band together. We went to Syracuse together. Andy's a, a longtime friend, and he's he's been peppering me with questions for you throughout the playoff run. And Andy wants to know, Neil, what Canadian band whose members often sported hockey apparel on stage took the Nassau Coliseum stage the night after the Islanders won the Stanley Cup. And I'm not sure exactly which season. It's either 80, 81, 82, or 83. But this Canadian band, and I'll, I'll go further, it's a trio. Which Canadian band took the Coliseum stage, probably sporting hockey jerseys, after the Islanders lifted the cup? I do know that Yanni Gord is named after Yanni, the musician. Okay, that's a good that question. That's um, I don't know. ELO. You know, you're not that far off, except <laughs> ELO is... They're Canadian. Aren't they Canadian? Uh, well, they're not a trio. Oh. They, oh, okay. they actually came out with an orchestra, and they had at least 22 band members. So, same era. Okay. Um, uh, it's not the Five Satins. It's not Yanni. I'm going to have to say... You know, I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Debbie Gibson. <laughs> I screwed that up the last time I mentioned Debbie Boone. So I'm going to say Debbie Gibson. No, she's a Long Islander. She's not Canadian. I don't know. I'm sticking with ELO. All right. Um, and the, the band had a very fitting name. Triumph. Wasn't there a band called Five for Fighting? There might have been. I might have been in the mosh pit for them. Actually, this is this is fitting to just to wrap it up with me being a complete failure in no, this you're, area. You're not a failure, Neil. The, the, the whole point, as I explained to someone, we know this is not your wheelhouse. You these are not your musical groups. The trick in these questions is to ask something that's simple enough that only you don't know it, and right. every listener does. Right. I got. I never got one Stones question. I never got one question about big picture, best picture winners, which is my that's my area of expertise. But there's always next year. See this. This is the this is the key. Yeah. We, we have something to look forward to the next time I talk to you on November fifth at UBS <laughs> when we share an Italian cold cut box lunch. Okay, that sounds good. Never mind the the, the singing of the national anthem or or anything like that. It's the Italian subs that will move from Nassau Coliseum well, to UBS Arena. Well, they had a great playoff run and Lou is gonna to wanna to keep everything as similar as possible. So that's gonna be their superstition. Give us Italian cold cut box dinners. It's fine, I'll, I'll take it, I appreciate it. You know what, and just the last thing, the funniest thing to me in the playoffs was watching reporters like get very upset when they would open up their box lunch and 
either the cookie or the potato chips oh, were missing. That was Lou. See, that was Lou playing with our minds and keeping us sharp. He wanted to see if we would be resourceful enough to, you know, share, <laughs> mix and match. Lou thinks of everything. I'm telling you. Uh, Neil, you're the best, literally, yeah. and I didn't mean that pun pun like. Um, that's Neil Best, ladies and gentlemen. You can find him on Twitter at SportsWatch and. Uh, Neil will now be going on to uh, cover. You'll probably have some downtime, and we'll see you next covering football, I would think. I think there'll be some radio ratings, as always, and some football. and then. But I, I certainly hope to be there on opening night at UBS Arena because that will be a very cool thing to be at. I hope to be there. You will. Yeah, I, I, I have no doubts. And uh, until the next time, uh, again, you can find Neil on Twitter at SportsWatch, and you can find anything Neil writes or I write or even our long-lost friend Colin Stevenson. Uh, everything is on Newsday.com backslash sports. And until we come to you with the next episode of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, happy hockey, everybody. <laughs>